Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research and broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated. to the Journey Mindset Podcast. My name is Sean Ulrich and I'm a financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri. And I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host Ron Shear. And Ron is a former financial advisor with a wealth of knowledge on all things investing. So we are lucky to have him today. And Ron, man, what is one thing you are doing to enjoy your journey this week? Weather, weather, weather. It's just <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. These mornings are so nice and uh, you know, and, and we had a little cold snap, and uh, and that's just the nature's way of reminding us that we still live in Missouri. You know, if you don't like the weather here, don't leave. Sweet just day. wait 15 minutes. It'll change. <laughs> but uh, no, the weather's just been awesome. How about you? Man, I can't agree more. I think I mentioned to you last time I joined a, a golf league out in Forest Park with my brother. Right. And I got to tell you right now, man, I hate to hate to brag. We're at the top of the leaderboard after week two weeks. Oh, so, my goodness. But here's a caveat. I had never been in the golf league before. So the, the reality of the situation is I usually will play bogey golf mm-hmm. one over. So I set my handicap at what I thought would right. be plus nine. Right. And then, you know, unintelligent me goes out and shoots two over. So my my uh, aggregate score was seven under, which put us at the top. Sure. And then we came out and it readjusted for week two. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so we ended up middle of the pack. But it still has us at the top. But we're going to miss this weekend next week. It's we used to have rain. a word for golfers like you. We called them sandbaggers. <laughs> I'm going to own it this time, and I'll just be better next year. There you go. Oh, man. Well, our topic for this week is going to be understanding a little bit more about the thought process behind asset allocation and how do we decide, you know, what to invest in and how do we decide how much of it that we're going to invest in. So we're going to roll through today some asset allocation strategies. And man, oh, man, this can be an interesting topic, but we're going to try to keep it short. So before we get into it, Ron, what comes to mind for you when you think about asset allocation in general, and how has your view of that changed over the years? Well, I think about when I hear asset allocation, I always uh, I kind of like to watch my wife cook, and and my <laughs> wife uh, uh, she's a very methodical cook. She uh, she follows the recipe to a T, and uh, I think that's really what comes down to with asset allocation. If you want to have a nice cake or a nice pie, it's uh, it's uh, it's important to follow the ingredients as prescribed. Uh, and uh, it's the same thing with investing. If you want to have a good and balanced, you want to do an asset allocation that makes some sense. And uh, and that's typically what pops in my mind. I mean, it's kind of a homegrown analogy. but hey, Making me hungry with. already. Right. <laughs> and researching this topic was a fun one. Uh, I came across a presentation called The Intellectual History of asset allocation that was actually given in Switzerland to a bunch of CFAs, our chartered financial analysts, and it gave us some perspective. And he made the joke that about 1,500 years ago in the Jewish Talmud, uh, you know, we were encouraged to invest a third of our money in land, a third in business, and then a third to keep for ourselves in reserve. 
So in modern terms today, that'd be a third in equities, a third in real estate, and a third in cash. And then the speaker, his name was Paul Kaplan, said he is unsure of how that particular portfolio's performance has done over the past 1,500 years. Uh, but it's at least a place for us to start when it comes to figuring out, okay, where did asset allocation start? And let's open up the discussion, Ron, uh, with just the general concept of asset allocation. The idea, just like what you were talking about with, the, with you know, putting together a pie, uh, is hopefully you're going to spread your money out amongst a bunch of different, you know, hopefully revenue-producing assets right. that allow your money to work for you, knowing full well as investors that we could be wrong in a few areas, but that all the other areas are going to hopefully make up for, you know, those ones that are kind of stinkers, you know, not, not ones that end up performing that year. So that leads us to the ever-elusive question of, you know, where is the best place to put our money for the next three to five, you know, 10-year periods of time? And the general consensus amongst the investing community is that there's two different paths that you can travel down. You can choose to be what's called a passive investor that right. usually just hits an index, or you can choose to be what's called an active investor where you try to outperform you know, hopefully in years uh, that are that are really good, you know, uh, and one of the examples of that was last year in 2020. And when thinking about asset allocation as a whole, in general, it can be a bunch of different individual securities, or there's also a different way to uh, allocate assets that allocates to a bunch of different asset classes, such as bonds, stocks, and real estates. So let's talk about a, a term in portfolio construction that not many people know or think about, and this is going to be a technical run, one run. It's called mean various variance optimization, right. which can be defined as a key element of data-based investing. It is the process of measuring an asset's risk against its likely return and investing based on that risk-return ratio. So when the assets are selected correctly, an optimized portfolio should generate the highest possible return based off the amount of risk that that investor is taking. It should also generate the least amount of risk based off of that investor's preferred return. That's the goal. So all of this information brings us to the moment that most financials have, most financial advisors have to ask, and that is, uh, you know, what is your risk tolerance when it comes to portfolio construction? But very, I, very important question. For sure. And, and I personally think another great way to ask that is what is the purpose behind this money? And if these funds are set up for retirement, it's going to be invested differently than funds that are set, you know, for a three to five year period of time. It's totally dependent upon the goal of the investor. So how do you think we're doing so far, Ron, with the beginning of portfolio construction? Well, I think we've kind of great laid down the, uh, the uh, nomenclature. At least mm -hmm. we've talked about some of the terms that you find in, in asset allocation. And uh, yeah, I think we're right on target. And I think this is, uh, could be a very, very meaningful broadcast or a podcast, I should say. In that, uh, you know, uh, good asset allocation is the, really <laughs> what makes a difference in the success or failure of a, of a portfolio. It's For sure. Really and I think another interesting point to be made, and one that after I got in the industry for a little bit of time, I was able to see this, you know, play out, is that we can have investor number one, uh, you know, that's investing into a portfolio that was done, you know, six months ago that may perform a little bit better if you invest into that exact same portfolio today, you know, just based off of current market conditions. Sure. That's just the reality of the situation. And this is where our job as investors or investment professionals can become challenging because ultimately the current market conditions are beyond anybody's control, even though the portfolios are constructed the same. Right. So the take home message from that is that 
a well-executed portfolio should perform well over a long period of time, uh, but there's no guarantees, of course. But in that short term, you know, even if investor one and investor two are invested in that exact same portfolio, the short-term returns are not going to be ones that anybody can guarantee. So how did you wrap your mind around when you first got into the industry, knowing that one portfolio could be the same and just the general market conditions may dictate different results? Well, there was an old saying, and I think it's still an old saying, but it was, it's when you invest, it's time in the market hmm. and not timing hmm. the market. Now, I, having said that, I will say that uh, there is, is some variance to that, whether you're talking about passive invest, investing or active investing, like our managed account, sometimes uh, you, can, uh, you can anticipate or try to uh, anticipate downturns in the market and you can do certain things to, to, uh, to stave off or hedge those, uh, those losses and, and, uh, and that certainly comes to play. But here again, the whole success of investing is based on time in the market and not trying to actually time the market. Yeah, I like that. And the last thing I want to talk about before we get into the actual strategies is let's talk a little bit about portfolio concentration. So there's two different portfolios that we're talking about here. And the first individual investors, uh, the first is the individual investors own portfolio. So talking about the investments that you make. And the second consideration is the funds or the ETFs that they're investing in. And what we've seen over the years is that you can think of the funds that you're investing in like ships. That's a good analogy mm -hmm. to think of them like. One can be thought of as like a big, big cruise liner. It's got a bunch of people on there, a bunch of different rooms. Right. And the other one can be thought of as tinier speedboats. And what we see most often is that a lot of investors are in big cruise liners. They're in uh, funds that have a bunch of different holdings sure. where each individual holding may only be you know 1% or less of that portfolio. And what we've seen as of recent is that some of these top performing funds are a little bit more concentrated. They may have positions that range anywhere from 3% to 5% to sometimes 7, 8, 9 if they're the top holding in the portfolio. So, Ron, how do you weigh in on the evolution of funds over the past, you know, 5, 10, 15 years or so to getting more concentrated? Well, here, here's uh, this is typically what, what can happen uh, when you have, uh, and we'll use go back to this, uh, this cruise ship analogy, cruise ships are large and they actually need the assistance of many times a, a tugboat or a towboat to help them kind of navigate the harbor because they're so big. And, uh, and, and that's the same thing with a large mutual fund. It can be very, very cumbersome, very large, and, uh, and they don't have the mobility or the nimbleness that a smaller fund, a smaller asset class might have. Uh, the other thing I think you have to be mindful of is a person, an investor going on their own can think that they're very, very diversified and have maybe a half a dozen large mutual funds. But you know what you find out is when you do the analysis of what the mutual funds actually holding, you can have a great amount of overlap. In other words, yeah. you may have a large number of shares of Walmart in each of those six uh, mutual funds, even though you think you're broad and diversified you've got an unhealthy amount of Walmart stock in there. And I'm not saying that, that Walmart, to own Walmart stock is a bad idea. I just use that as an example. Yeah. But you have to be very careful. And you want to do some analysis about what the key holdings of a mutual fund are, whether they're large or small. It's very important yeah. so that you can avoid that overlap, which is another way of, uh, of creating an unsafe, uh, unbalanced portfolio. 
Yeah, I agree too. And I think that it's just very common, you know, for people to have their own portfolio and not necessarily be super aware of, oh, this particular fund that I'm invested in is super, super spread out. Right. And maybe they may have one or two funds that are more concentrated, but just knowing the implications of that and when you're considering asset allocation, where I want to put my money into, it's good to have that clear picture of if I go into this fund, you know, it's going to be a long, slow, steady race, but there's nothing wrong with that. And then if you're going to go into a more concentrated fund, it can still be a great long-term hold. There just may be some more volatility right. to try to get that, that better performance you know, in those good market conditions. So without further ado, Ron, let's hop into some of these asset allocation strategies. And the first strategy that we're going to talk about today is called strategic asset allocation. And according to Morningstar, this method establishes and adheres to a base policy mix which is a proportional combination of assets based on expected returns for each asset class. You also need to take your risk tolerance and investment time frame into account, and you can set your targets and then rebalance your portfolio every now and then. So the main takeaway from this strategic strategy is that the investor or the investment professional really considers and tries to figure out what particular fund stock or asset class they believe is going to do really well over the next three to five to 10 years based off of those expected returns. You know, and that's something that a lot of us are kind of constantly thinking about in this industry. Right. And this is still considered to be a long-term strategy and most consider this to be a buy and hold strategy. And again, this is what Morningstar calls strategic asset allocation. So Ron, how do you think about strategic asset allocation? we've, We've used it in the past and continue to use it. And I think mm-hmm. the one thing that the investing public needs to know is we have a great amount of, of help and we have a certain number of tools that we can use. And it's, yep. uh, it's uh, when I first started in the business uh, over 30 years ago, it wasn't quite as easy as it is today. I'm not trying to say that it's, the tools that we have today are much greater and much better than the tools that we had 30 years ago. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's improved greatly in uh uh, and we can full take, fully take advantage of those tools for our clients. Yeah, and it's made it a lot easier for somebody hopping into the industry, uh, just like me. So the second strategy that we're going to talk about today is called constant weighting asset allocation. And with this approach, you continually rebalance your portfolio. Right. For example, if one asset declines in value, you would purchase more of that asset to try to get back up to that weighting. And if the asset increases in value, you would sell it to try to get it back down to an area that you're more comfortable And there's no hard and fast rules for timing portfolio rebalancing under strategic or constant weighting. But a common rule of thumb is that the portfolio should be rebalanced to its original mixed when any given asset class moves more than 5% from its original value. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And Ron, we've seen rebalancing these types of portfolios happen as normally as quarterly or even more often than that if there's big, big market events like what happened with coronavirus. Right. And another way to think about this strategy would be to set to have set in stone rebalancing standards. And just to, just uh, going back to what I was mentioning before, a good example of this was in 2020, where we saw some sectors get cut in half, and then we saw some work from home, you know, sectors, tech sectors, mm-hmm. you know, dang near double in value. So if you had an, a five percent five percent position in a particular fund, that thing may have doubled in 2020. And by the end of the year, if you're subscribing to this strategy, you're going to shave off that 5% gain and you're going to rebalance it back out into other areas that you feel like 
should have, you know, that 5%. So what are the risks of doing something like that? To me, you know, it would be the potential to possibly miss out on some further gains. That's that's exactly what could happen. You know, if you choose to rebalance after such great appreciation, uh, but it's the it's these investors that like to rebalance to specific allocations, you know, to just try to stay disciplined. And we do think that this is a wise strategy to employ when an investor sees a particular trend. Uh, but if for whatever reason they feel like their money is more useful elsewhere, that's also worth consideration. So, Ron, what are your thoughts on, on just portfolios getting out of balance in years like 2020 and, and trying to move forward after that? Well, what we, the approach we tried to take here, and, and quite honestly, it always comes back down to more of an active management uh, uh, scenario than a passive. If, and the thing I think that can happen most, it can be very damaging in a passive, passive portfolio where uh, it doesn't get rebalanced. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's just another way of saying that you don't really have a plan. And the fact that you bought some mutual funds and you put it into the portfolio and nobody, uh, it, it doesn't ever get looked at and doesn't uh, get, get changed or rebalanced. That's why I, I'm a very much a, a proponent of... Uh, Active market management for the for the protection when the market is not so good, but for greater protection when the market is extremely good, like it was in, in 2020. And and I dare say that uh, uh, in, in most retirement plans, if you don't have someone that helps you look at this, you might find that you haven't uh, rebalanced or actually done anything with your portfolio portfolio for a good number of years. Yeah. That can be very very dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. It just it's it's just another way of saying you don't really have a plan if you don't yeah. if you don't look at where your your funds are and how they perform whether they need to be sold off because of poor performance or they need to be rebalanced because of great performance either way it's it's damaging if it doesn't get done yeah not a great situation to no, find yourselves in so just a reminder you're listening to the Journey Mindset podcast and you can reach out to us at six three six two three nine five thousand or connect with us at thejourneymindset.com. And our third type of asset allocation strategy that we're going to talk about today, it's got a cool name, tactical asset allocation. Almost sounds military. (laughs) It definitely does. And the quote from Morningstar is that over the long run, a strategic asset allocation strategy may seem relatively rigid. That was the first one we talked about. Therefore, you may find it necessary to occasionally engage in short-term tactical deviations from the mix to capitalize on unusual or or exceptional investment opportunities. This flexibility adds a market timing component, which we've talked about this before, to the portfolio, allowing you to participate in some economic conditions more favorable for one asset class than for others. And like I said, I thought it had a cool name, and I just thought we could start off there, but I think that this this strategy can get tricky. I think that there's wise trends to potentially try to play off of, and then there's unwise trends to try to play off. And and so let's give some examples of some tactical trends that have happened recently. So we saw all the wild trading that was happening during the past six months, and this could be an example of a tactical asset allocation as investors were trying to ride the wave of stocks that were fundamentally just not there. You're not going to find an investor that's going to say, yes, this is a great company uh, to invest in over the long term. Then you can have trends that make a lot more sense, such as the work from home stocks in the in 2020, where you did see a lot of money flow into it, 
as that trend is playing out. Mm -hmm. right. And then lastly, the newest one has just been the rise of all these cryptocurrencies, which you've started to see institutional investors get involved in. And there's just a lot of trends to potentially look into. So Ron, how do you look at the process of kind of that short-term tactical asset allocation that some investors try to employ? Well, you want to be careful with short-term anything. I mean, in the investment world here, again, it's uh, uh, in tactical. The tactical approach to investing is really the exception of, of uh, its time in the market, not timing the market, because in a tactical approach, and here again, that should not be the sum total of your portfolio. It should be yeah. just, it's an anomaly that you're trying to take advantage of while the market is doing something that's not normal. Yeah. And uh, a tactical approach, uh, you don't want to fall into the trap that you manage the, the total portfolio uh, in a tactical sense all the time. Yeah. And that can happen with investors uh, uh, very, very easily. But yeah, it makes a great amount of sense. Uh, uh, some examples, if, if oil prices are beginning to escalate, I mean, it may make some sense to have a tactical position in the, in the petroleum stock. And here again, I'm not, I'm not saying that a client should buy this. We're just talking in general terms and not a, about, we're talking about a sector, not a, not a specific company. But it may make some sense to take a look at oil stocks and, and own them on a short-term basis. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's the, the conventional thinking, and that's the way it, it needs to be approached. But here again, tactical investing is not something that you do every day of your life, 365 days a year, unless you're a, a, a day trader. And that's, a, <laughs> uh, you know. And, and that's, that's a little bit more of what we're going to talk real, about right now. Exactly. Yeah. The fourth, the fourth asset allocation strategy is called dynamic asset allocation. And this is another active strategy. And with this, you constantly adjust the mix of assets as markets rise and as markets fall. And as the economy strengthens and weakens, and with this strategy, you sell assets that decline and you purchase assets as they increase. And this makes dynamic asset allocation the polar opposite of a constant weighting strategy. For example, if the stock market shows weakness, you sell those stocks in anticipation of further decreases. And if the market is strong, you purchase stocks in anticipation of continued market gains. Sounds simple on paper. It does. It sure does. So instead of rebalancing after games or after gains, this dynamic approach actually looks to add to your winners and to sell your losers. A bold approach that some have successfully employed, but it's very, very tricky to do and not usually recommended. And in this scenario, the investor's goal is to invest on the way up at good value points, which is a wise investment move while investors using this strategy would be would consider selling their losers and adding to what they believe is going to be a winning category. So remember, in constant weighting asset allocation, you're re rebalancing to, to your preset percentages, while this strategy uh, is okay with unequal portfolio percentages in certain sectors uh, when they're winning more than others. So Ron, what do you think about this portfolio strategy? Well, I think here, I think it makes sense, but I think it has to be done in... Uh in uh, good taste. I'll go back to this baking a pie or baking a cake analogy. Mm. You can, you know, there's certain ingredients that you can just dearly love, but you know, I wouldn't, I like horseradish, but I wouldn't dare think about putting it into a cherry <laughs> pie. And that's, uh, that's, and that's a little bit the same thing that we're saying here is that just be very, very careful what you do in a tactical sense, because those are typically short-term plays where the market is doing something that's not normal or not typical. Um, even though 
sometimes these cycles uh, in certain sectors or certain companies can be a little bit predictable, but it's never, you know, an old friend of mine, Bill Boyd, used to say, Ron, the future's not only unknown, but it's unknowable. And you yeah. can't really know what the future, you can take a pretty good educated guess. And that's what you're looking at when you're tactically investing tactically. But here again, do it in small bites and, and uh, it shouldn't be an everyday way of life of investing. Yeah, for sure. And the fifth kind of asset allocation strategy that we're going to talk about is called insured asset allocation. And with this strategy, you establish a base portfolio value under which the portfolio should not be allowed to drop. As long as the portfolio achieves a return above its base, you exercise active management relying on analytical research, forecast, judgment, and experience to decide which securities to buy, hold, or sell with the aim of increasing the portfolio value as much as possible. And if the portfolio should ever drop, below the base value, you invest in risk-free assets, such as treasuries, mm -hmm. so that the base value becomes fixed. And at this time, you would consult with your advisor to relocate your assets, perhaps even changing your investment strategy entirely. Off the cover on, this sounds uh, you know, a little bit too good to be true, in my opinion, being able to uh, minimize those losses and try to get some of those gains out there. And just a refresher, risk-free assets are those that an investor can go to when they do not want to be exposed to the volatile right. downside of some equity investment. So, Ron, how do you think about a strategy like this where somebody is trying to minimize their losses but really maximize their gains by moving to more risk-free assets? Well, I, I think it makes a great amount of sense depending upon what station in life you're in or what phase mm -hmm. of life you're in as you get as you get older, you certainly want to become more conservative and more cautious. And you can't, you can't suffer the losses that can come along with the market if the market uh, should go uh, poorly. But one reminder that people and investors need to always have, and they need to know it and understand it, is that whenever you, our system, our economic system is based on a risk-reward basis. That's the way the program works. And what we're really saying about that is for those who are willing to assume the most risk in the market, they, they reap typically the greatest rewards. Mm -hmm. And when you have a riskless, risk-free portfolio, it's, uh, it doesn't come without cost. And the cost that you have is that for the having your money in a relatively safe position, you don't have much in the way of reward or much in the way of return. Yeah. You just can't have it both ways. Yeah. And it's a challenging time to be yes, in right now. Sure you know, with the 10-year T-bill uh, being where it is, it feels like, oh, man, I'll, you know, if I want to keep pace with inflation, right. i got to look on the equity side with a few exceptions. Yeah, for right, sure. right. So the last strategy we're going to talk about today, trying to stay within our time, is called integrated asset allocation. And this is really just a catch-all where you try to combine maybe one or two of the other strategies that we've talked about up until this point as long as they don't conflict with one another. And it appears as though this strategy is more of a mixed bag, you know, and I would imagine that this is where a lot of investors find themselves in today's day and age, trying to incorporate a few different strategies to see which one that they feel like plays out the best. We've also seen it where one portfolio is invested based off of a specific strategy, mm -hmm. and then potentially a, a different portfolio is invested differently uh, you know, one portfolio may have one strategy, the next portfolio may have another strategy to see which one they feel like is going to play out better. So to keep us within our time frame, to wrap up our show today, we talked about number one, strategic asset allocation. Number two, constant weighting asset allocation. Number three would be tactical 
Number four would be dynamic. Number five would be insured. And number six would be integrated. And those are all different ways that people can potentially consider constructing their portfolios in a way that best suits their risk tolerance and objective for that particular set of assets. So I know we rolled through it quick, Ron, but do you have any final thoughts on all of these different strategies that investors can potentially employ? Uh, Sean, that's a lot to throw at, at, at an investor. And I would say it this way. I don't think that, you know, if, if you're listening to the podcast, don't, uh, don't, get, uh, don't get concerned and don't get, don't get down. Uh, it's part of the reason why companies like Cornerstone exist is that we, we, can, uh, we can get to know you. We can do a client assessment and, and determine what your risk tolerance is, and we can kind of go from there. And then uh, the, the bottom line is, is you don't have to know all these strategies on your own. There are people out there like, uh, like you find folks at Cornerstone that would be glad to help you fight your way through that. And it's not something you can't do on your own. It's not, uh, it isn't rocket science, but it does take a lot of work. And uh, we find that uh, a lot of people are not uh, not willing to do that work on their own, and they don't want to do it on their own. And that's why we have a large number of clients in this office and, uh, and a very good and thriving practice. That's a great way to put it. And I'll say, too, for me, just kind of my thought, final thoughts are on it, is that it's phenomenal to have somebody to talk yeah, about yeah, really and talk are. with yeah. uh, through an, uh, all these different investment strategies. And uh, it's just something that we really think uh, people should hopefully do and, and try to reach out to us here at Cornerstone Financial. So the reason for the podcast and the real heart behind all of our messages lies in the gospel. We believe that God sent his only son, his only son Jesus, to this world with a message of good news. And the good news is that we as humans do not need to earn our way into heaven. Instead, we need to repent of the current way that we live, living for ourselves in our own personal glory, and instead choose to invite Jesus into our lives to follow his word, what we believe to be truth. And ultimately, we believe Jesus, after living a perfect life here on earth, was put to death for no other reason other than saying he was the Son of God, thus being put to death for our sins, which he knew was going to happen. Again, the good news of the gospel is something we did nothing to earn. It was a free gift from God. We know that after Jesus died, we believe he rose again three days later, appearing to those on earth who had deserted him before his death, ultimately ascending back into heaven. And after Jesus ascended back into heaven, we receive what Jesus called the Holy Spirit to guide our lives in decision-making. We now have the freedom to live for God, bringing glory to God as a response to the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. We wholeheartedly believe that we were all created to do good works, rooted in truth, what we know to be God's word, driven by love, with this newfound freedom as a response to this good news. So as always, be sure to connect with us at thejourneymindset.com or visit our company page at cornerstone2invest.com and reach out to us at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri at 636-239-5000. If you would like to connect and learn more about what it would look like to invest with us here at Cornerstone Financial. Our goal is to always get to know your particular investment situation and to see how we can help. A big thank you for tuning in today. We love being on now.